welcome to Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Steph Ralph, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with the global perspective, and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains in transit, adventures and life hacks, and today, the Timber Trail. Gabe is a member of the Timber Trail, I guess, Association Committee project, uh, and today he will be talking with us about the creation of that, uh, as well as his involvement with Limberlost. So welcome to the show, Gabe. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so why don't you let us know a little bit about what the Timber Trail is, and then we'll back up a sec for Limberlost there. Sure. Uh Timber Trail is a project that I've been working on for about 18 months now, uh, and that's about the time that Travel Oregon and I started talking. And it's a it's a backcountry mountain bike route across the state of Oregon. It's a, just about uh, just under 700 miles long, and it focuses on single track. So there's a majority of single track, and uh, it's it's very much like the PCT or the Colorado Trail or the Arizona Trail, but it's it's focused on on mountain biking. Nice. So is this the first trail of this type here in Oregon? Uh, it's There's some other really, really good quality uh, mountain bike routes or bikepacking routes around in Oregon, but this is the one that, that's the first one that's this long and really focuses on single track. What makes it different from biking and, and backpacking? Like, what are some of the amenity differences? I guess it's very much like backpacking except you're on a bike. So I, I like to tell people is like <laughs> it's not like bike touring where you need a touring bike and a bunch of special panniers and all this extra gear. If you already have backpacking gear, you're you're like 80% there. You you buy a couple bags to strap that to your bike and and you're pretty much set for for bikepacking. Um so it, it's very much similar. It's it's the part that I like about it is that you travel farther distances usually and you see a greater you see more changes in landscape uh than you do backpacking what was your first bikepacking experience <laughs> uh, <laughs> i didn't even know what bikepacking was at this point but um i'd been looking at maps and it looked like there was on the deschutes river there's this cool railroad grade that you can bike up from the mouth in the columbia river about 20 miles or so it's a, it's a great first time uh overnight bike trip and uh I had the great idea of being like, well, it looks like it keeps going all the way to Moppin. So if we started Moppin, we can just go all the way down. And it's like 40 miles. What I found out is that, and, and my girlfriend at the time, is there's about a five-mile section in the middle there where there was trestles over canyons that have burned down and fences that are like barbed wire that you have to crawl through. So it was like <laughs> some sort of really ridiculous torturous thing and there we could we could we ran out of water and we could see people in rafts down floating drinking beer like floating in this cool river like a hundred feet below us like like, beneath this cliff so uh so yeah that's where that's where it really bit me and i and i fell in love with it (laughs) and i understand you'd been working on a company called limber loss do you want to tell us a little bit about that as well yeah a few years ago so uh, two friends and i um had this idea to start a, a guiding company where we take people on on multi-day uh, biking trips. And what I ultimately really found that I enjoyed from that experience was developing the trips, developing uh, the, the, the adventures and, like, creating a theme around them mm-hmm. and, and really figuring out the logistics and, and, the, and the best route and, and what tied it all together. And so it, was like a, it was a pretty obvious transition for me mm-hmm. to do to start developing the timber trail and, and really re- uh, building that and refining that and telling its story. Wonderful. What do you mean by a theme? Uh, a good route needs to have a theme. The, the PCT goes from, uh, from, from basically Mexico to, to Canada, crosses the whole country. That's a really good theme. Um, yeah, there's the Idaho hot springs route that, that hits over 50 hot springs in Idaho, which is a really good theme. Uh, <laughs> you know, and you, and you can have themes that go from like, from like fire lookout to fire lookout. And that's a really good, th- you know, or, or if you're just like fishing, you can find some good trout streams and like link up some good trout streams. So I think that's really a really key thing that I've learned is, is developing uh, a route that has a theme. So it's, you're not just meandering around the countryside, but actually sort of have like something that ties it all together. Nice. So um, I'm just looking at the description here for, 
the Timber Trail, and because you just had a launching party for this last week at base camp, correct? Yeah, it's not quite a launch yet. It's sort okay. of we're That's sort of rolling. We're sort of rolling it out. So is it? It was a public introduction to the Oregon Timber Trail Association. Something we've we've been putting a lot of energy into this, and people have been getting really excited about it. And something we've been uh, identifying right off the bat is that it's in a it's in a pretty primitive state, or not all of it. Some of it are, are really well maintained trails. Other parts of it haven't been cleared or ridden or walked or ridden on horseback for for many years. So it's. Mm. It needs a lot of work sort of tying it together and, and making sure that it all is in good shape, uh, both from an environmental concern and just from a, a, a increased use concern. So the focus of that sort of event, I think, was to really show that we were developed. We, we founded this organization to really steward it into the future nice. um, and then and then tease people with the, the sort of the four tiers and, mm-hmm. and sort of the the thematic element that i was talking about so yeah. so we're we're working on on really refining i mean it's, it's 99 percent there there's just a couple little gray areas mm-hmm. and we're, we're we're buffing those out and be rolling it out we're really we're set on releasing it this spring giving people enough time to sort of make the plans and, okay. and get their all their ducks in a row to ride it this summer nice and and so it says the trail or i'm reading here the trail is a collaboration between portland-based bike adventure guide company limber lost uh travel organ and the bureau of land management or blm and the United States Forest Service. So working together, they hope to have a map and guidebook completed by the end of next year and officially finish the trail in 2020. So with the guidebook there, um, it sounds like we had already had people who've ridden the trail, uh, but it looks like 2020 is really the, the oh, what you're gearing towards in terms of that goal. I mean, that's probably that was probably updated last summer when okay. we were a little more optimistic. <laughs> ah, gotcha. <laughs> um, now I've now, now I've <laughs> right now I've got a little bit better idea of mm-hmm. what all this entails. So uh, we we definitely like to to publish some printed maps at some point mm-hmm. or a guidebook. Um, right now, what we're focused on though is is refining the alignment to so we have all the stakeholders really happy with it and and. Uh, and then publishing a PDF guide, a detailed PDF guide online, along with with detailed GPS files and waypoint files. So, nice. so uh, for our listeners, what um, what type of, of recreational activities is something that you think that people are going to be traveling just Portland or sort of Oregon based, or is this something that is really trying to open up the map in terms of you know like ride the spine or other such places to become a destination piece for the state uh i'm I'm certain it'll become a destination uh piece for for the state that will attract people from all over the country and world uh even even a couple of the previous routes that are are going to have uh or or have had a fraction of the publicity that this one will probably have have had people from canada and the yukon and japan uh come and ride these routes so Mm -hmm. I think it's a really bikepacking community is a pretty small community right now and pretty tightly knit. So mm-hmm. people hear about stuff, people talk a lot, um, and they feel like people are, are really supportive and energized about it right now. So nice. that everyone's in the know. I just was on in in Baja California, and that's uh, some people did a very similar thing down there. Developed this seventeen hundred mile route that travels the whole length of Baja California, Whoa. and I rode half of that with a with a friend from portland and uh we did a mass start with a, about a hundred other people and uh it was a really cool experience and it just really showed to me like how what a what a nice community was mm-hmm. uh and how many people that i had no idea were out there were like already like really good friends of mine and i just mm-hmm. didn't know it yet <laughs> so do you think that um experience sort of shaped your approach to working on the trail here in oregon yeah i i mean i really I I don't think the Timber Trail is ready for a, a group event like that at all. I, I would say that would be a couple years down the road. Okay. Um, it it's it's yeah that that's mostly Jeep roads and it, it's definitely hard for uh, a number of reasons in mm-hmm. in Baja. But um, the Timber Trail is 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 going to be pretty uh pretty rugged here for the next year or two. So, um, I would like to go towards something that really was sort of more community-based and, and non-competitive, like they really focused on mm-hmm. in, the, in the Baja Divide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out how to really t- to, to shape that message here for, for this year since I do think it's going to be 
difficult for most people and really difficult to do as a group. Sure. Yeah, how that long, makes sense. How long have they been working on the Baja Divide? So they it's a, so Nick uh Nick Carmen and Lael Wilcox uh they have been sort of wintering in Baja I think for 3 winters now. They're they're sort of uh perpetual uh bike travelers. They're based in Alaska but barely spend any time there. And um they yeah, I think about 3 winters they've been exploring and poking around. I'm not sure how long of how much of that time they've been actively like okay, we need to develop this route uh, to share with people, but mm-hmm. It really, it really proved to me, or showed to me what, how much effort and and uh, uh, care that they put in into developing that and just messaging it and making sure. I was like, I didn't, I didn't have to do anything to prepare to go there. I just showed up with my bike and my stuff, and I was just like, where do we go now? <laughs> and, and they had it all laid out. Like they, they didn't have to hold my hand at all. Just the information that they provided ahead of time was that detailed that I could just be like confident in it. And that, that was, that was what, that's what I'm striving for now. And it's sort of daunting. Nice. So one of the facets of really tying that route together, and um, I had the opportunity to pretend or to attend your presentation about a week ago was that you're really looking to partner or have partnerships with local communities that are along this trail, sort of similar to the concept with resupply routes on the Pacific Crest Trail. Has that been something that, um, you know, neighborhoods and communities based around that have been getting pretty excited about? And do you think that they're sort of getting the message that that this is going to be like a good thing for those towns and communities to be able to have access to? Yeah, I mean, it, from the get-go, it's a really broad concept. It crosses four national forests, and I'm not even sure how many different counties, uh, but the whole state. Uh, it's a backcountry route, so it goes through a lot of really small count or uh, communities. Um, and and we've really focused since most of the the land that it crosses is national forest land. We really focused on interfacing with the national forest and the land managers and then the trail groups that maintain those trails in, in all the areas it passes through. And now we're sort of switching gears to to talk to those those communities that it goes through. And they're 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 chomping at the bit. I think Travel Oregon has done a really good job of quantifying the the type of economic impact that that recreational opportunities can bring to these rural small communities that have this tremendous asset of our public lands in their back door. And and they they've been hurting their traditional their extraction based industries have been dwindling and they've they're not seeing a future in those mm-hmm. so much and they're they're sort of begging for something to take that place and in terms I, of generating revenue that will yeah yeah and and i mean i'm from i'm from a very similar where i grew up in a very similar town that was an iron ore uh based uh based town and uh and it's hurting the same way so it's like i'm, I'm really familiar with like that 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 mentality of like what how where do we get our money how do we like how do we prevent our children from moving away when they graduate high school and that, that sort of dilemma so it, I'm really, I'm really happy that Travel Oregon has been able to sort of quantify the the economic impact that that biking and and outdoor recreation can have uh, on these areas. So, I think, I think for the most part, and we haven't done a tremendous amount of outreach yet, but for the most part, there's a really really positive response to this concept. People get it. It's it's big picture. It's inspirational. Like mm-hmm. they see that that will it will bring people to their communities. So. Right. And it's not only broken up. So there's there's four tiers, right, where people can – I'd seen that it was basically 30 to 45 days is the estimate for completion, but you can break it into smaller sections if you are not able to commit that time. Yeah, it's it's broken into four tiers, and that's sort of based on landscape, uh, the, and that also is based on national forests. The national forests are obviously sort of chunked around certain landscapes and, and environments, so uh, – those range from about 100 to about 200 miles each each tier, and then then we've broken it down sort of based on resupply points or like major little uh, community nodes uh, into about 10 or 12 different segments, um, and and in the future we hope to develop sort of trip itineraries where it's not just just like the BCT, not that many people are actually going to go through hike the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But people want to go camp out and then hike a chunk of it and and go up and see like this really uh, amazing section of the PCT. We want to do the same thing with the Oregon Timber Trail so people can 
can really experience part of it and, and keep going back to different sections each year and sort of cumulatively link it all together. Nice. I, I noticed you brought um, a number of stickers, and I didn't realize until just now that each one is its own tier. Yeah. <laughs> all four tiers. Yeah, collect you all four. Collect all four. Right. So which did you meander onto first? Because I'll admit, like, most of my biking like my bike camping or even touring, like there's already a map and like, I'm, I'm comforted by that map. And it's like, I'm not gonna, I'm like, okay, I'm going to stay on this, this route that has been ordained by others and discovered by others. I'm fascinated how you, how you create a trail. So how did you meander onto it? And what was that process? Uh, I mean, I didn't, I, I get lost a lot. Uh, <laughs> so I, I mean, a lot, some of the trails are, are really popular, really well-known trails that are amazing that a lot of people use, and some of them aren't, are the opposite, and and it's really just exploring, a lot of exploring by bike, a lot of exploring by truck, and then parking and going and riding a bike, a lot of just sitting in front of a computer and looking at satellite imagery and digging around on old USGS scans, and, and really... F- figuring out like this like the Fremont National Recreation Trail it's the majority of the the Fremont here it's 140 miles long or something that's something that I've had my eye on for years and it's one of those things that I just like keep searching for trip reports of anyone doing this like the whole trail end to end and no one I can't find any information on it which makes me want to go there even more so. <laughs> you're like I'll be that one I'll do the trip report yeah. so it's just yeah a lot of a lot of digging a lot of like dreaming and looking at maps and stuff really uh and i i haven't done the whole trail contiguously i've i've probably explored 80 percent of it at this point but uh i'm really excited to get out there and 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 link it all up in one in one push and what's so cool i'm sorry i, mean, I think i might have inadvertently joined the board recently um but <laughs> we're trying to get everyone on the board <laughs> <laughs> but uh um what was i gonna say I'm fascinated, like, just in the world, you know, like, you have the Salmonberry Corridor Trail, which uh, so much of it is about, like, how are we going to get this land so that we can build this trail? You know, how how do we get the easements, you know, the the land acquisition? But, I mean, most of the timber trail, it, isn't it true that most of the timber trail is already basically public land? Yeah, it's it's 100% legal to bike it right now. I mean, basically what we're doing is publishing a guidebook or, or creating a map thing like this is a route that we found in in on a map uh we're not we're not building new trail or acquiring new land or building new resources in the future we'd like to use uh the oregon timber trail association and the momentum we have to really sort of close those gaps that like are like where you're riding on a little chunk of highway that's unsafe or where you're riding on a fire road that you could build new single track to improve the experience for the user like down the road we have that in mind but from day one our our goal was like oh it's basically in this day and age it would be near impossible to build a trail across the state uh build a new trail so what let's look at the trails we have and see how well connected they are and and we're pretty shocked to find how well connected they already were and uh and and that's sort of we were we decided to roll with that we're like if we can publish this then it won't be running up against a wall repeatedly it can be like embracing this thing that we already have definitely for people looking to attempt it would you say it's something you sort of need a specialized bike for i know that uh, the people were obviously using a bit of suspension in there but could somebody take a hardtail or um, even like a rigid frame bicycle on the trail, even if they, you know, weren't looking to get into that bike wise for a specialized component. Uh, definitely front suspension, um, is, is highly recommended. Okay. Um, it is, it's a mountain bike trail and, and it's focused on single track. So it's going to make your life a lot, lot funner to, to have suspension. Um, if you're if you're really experienced and you have a rigid bike and you know what that entails and and know what you're you're getting yourself into, then great, go for it. I'm not going to tell you not to. Um, the first off, but see to do the right. Trail. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people, and I'm not going to say no. Uh, sure, but I I do want to reiterate, especially in these the first couple years, there's 
there are a lot of gray areas that we're really not sure how hard they're going to be mm. ba- because of just technical challenges, because of ju- fallen trees. Like there's some burn areas and some beetle kill areas where there's literally like trees falling like pickup sticks over the trail. So like y- whatever bike you carry, you get used to picking it up before you leave your house. Like just lift it over your head a couple times and see if you can do that for, you know, 20 days. <laughs> um, so I think it's going to be... I think it's going to be a few years before I, I really can like be like, this is this is how hard it is, and these are the other trails that are of similar difficulty that you can sort of judge its difficulty off of. Um, the good thing is is that we're developing a route guide that's going to be pretty detailed, and even if that doesn't, even if that somehow misleads you, and you get out there and you're in a lot of trouble, there's there's there it crosses roads and there's plenty of small communities and the cool thing about bike travel is it's not mountaineering you're not going to have to call search and rescue to come and get you most likely you're not going to get airlifted out like at the very least if your bike falls into a million pieces you can start hiking and stick out a thumb and catch a ride and and you know and 12 hours later you can probably probably be in a warm bed um hmm. so there there's bail options um That's and uh, i think I think it's Thank you for the omega 3. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think I don't have a definitive answer for like yeah. what kind of bike or what skill yeah, okay. level right now just and that it's, it, it's it, an unrefined resource. Okay. Gotcha. And and mostly I was asking cuz I'm very excited to attempt some of it this summer. Um and I happen to only have a rigid frame bike so I was just <laughs> making sure uh it might be crazy but I may also be able to borrow something so <laughs> we'll check it out. Um in terms of your work with Travel Oregon on this um, sort of where does your where does your work start and sort of where does Travel Oregon take over things in terms of the, the promotion or the development of this trail? Uh, that's probably in flux right okay. now. Um, so I'm, I've been working with them in developing our sort of preferred alignment up front, and that was last winter. And then we introduced that to land managers, and if I helped organize and facilitate a series of four charrettes that led to some follow-up meetings, uh, and that that w- that was some pretty intensive, like full-day meetings with with land managers and trail groups in each one of the national forests, like just introducing the concept, telling them why we why we're doing this, who the people that like to do this are and how, how they're going to want to experience the forests and, and then sort of just opening up some maps and like really looking at it in detail and, and really hashing out what, what the alignment looked like and what their concerns were. And if they had ideas for opportunities that we didn't even know about and that sort of thing. So that was, that was a big part of the work throughout the summer. Uh, Wait, can I ask, how did you describe who these people are? Like what adjectives did you use? <laughs> um, I mean, it's 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 an interesting question, actually. I, I think mountain biking as a whole has sort of an image problem. It, it's if you Google mountain biking or look at videos of mountain biking, it's this pretty extreme sport. Still, it's still sort of stuck in only that 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 Red Bull whatever fueled adrenaline thing <laughs> which is fine like that's great that's super cool and it's obviously super exciting to watch on YouTube but um it's not really representative of what I think uh a large majority of mountain bikers experience and why they are mountain biking so uh yeah that that has its time and place and that's great but I think what uh, what we're trying to explain is or what we're trying to do is sort of shift that broaden that that image of mountain biking mm-hmm. a little bit more and bike packing especially has the ability to do that because it's just it's more like travel um than it is just mountain biking mm-hmm. what would you say for yourself like the difference between bike touring and bike packing would be um or do you think there there's is? not there's not much of a difference okay. in in my mind it's just a a hot word right now so okay. Uh, so generally encompassed in the bike touring envelope or portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all camping with your bike. Um, I guess it generally refers to soft surface bike touring, but I don't, I don't really need to make that distinction. That's just sort of what people have started assuming it means. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Just for those folks who may not have heard the term before, um, forming their own opinions as well. Mm -hmm. Um, do you actually had 
two ambassadors that rode the trail for you. So you, you talked a little bit about the image of mountain biking. What do you think those ambassadors um, sort of brought to the table in terms of informing the use and sort of the perception around the timber trail? Yeah, they they were awesome. We we were It's funny how how when you're working on this and you're like trying to do it behind closed doors, uh and then all of a sudden like people would be like, "Hey, what's this thing?" and I'm like, "How did you find out about that thing?" Like, we haven't told anyone yet. But they, the, the the two ambassadors, um Kim and Sam were two of those people and they're like, we want to ride it this, this July. And we're like, what? That's not fair. We're, we want to ride it, you know? <laughs> so, um, it was, it was like, it was sort of, it made sense cause I didn't have time to ride it last summer and they were really jazzed on it and they were obviously, uh, they, or they proved themselves to be very well prepared and the right people to do it. So it was really cool to, to meet with them and look over maps and they actually sort of, uh, steered, uh, some of the initial alignment revisions, they're like, why didn't you go over here instead of where you are over here on, on the, on the alignment. And, and we modified the route even before they went on their trip. And then when they got back, they also informed some, some alignment modifications. So, nice. uh, yeah, they, yeah, they were great. Um, they, they actually rode it faster than they thought they were going to ride it. And, and I think it's definitely, um, faster than I'm going to ride it. So, <laughs> how long did it take them? Uh, they, they they finished it in in 17 days, and oh, wow. I, I think nice. I, I I've sort of laid out an itinerary that's pretty ambitious for myself, which is about 20 21 days, and I, I think I think 20 to 30 days is a pretty good average. I'm sure there is going to be people that do it way faster and people that do it way longer, but 20 to 30 days is probably a pretty pretty fair guess. Would you say um, like I know that the Oregon Outback is sort of no more. Do you think that there's a like a good shift of user group from not being able to do that ride. Do you think that the timber trail could serve sort of as a, a upgrade or replacement, or I guess, or I guess an alternative to that route? Um, I'd say there there's two, two different demographics, two okay. different experiences. And I've done the Oregon outback twice since it's, uh, no more, which is, which is not fair to, to say that. Cause it's, it's all in, it's all in public land. It's on public roads and, and public trails. So, it, it's a really great route, and I, I, I think that it's a shame that there's that perception because everyone I talk to about the Oregon Outback is like, oh, it's so sad that that's not happening anymore. And mm-hmm. it's true that there's not a group event yeah, happening anymore. Yeah, I guess that's anymore. what I was referencing. There's, there's not sort of a, an event, which is probably a good thing because a lot of the communities it goes through were really strained by the amount of people traveling through um, all at once every mm-hmm. spring. So. It's great, and it's still there, and it's 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 one of the best routes in the state. So okay. I would say it's a re- it's a really awesome route, um, but it's focusing on on gravel trails and gravel roads and dirt roads, and and the the Oregon Timber Trail is really focused on that. That it goes through a lot more mountains, mm-hmm. and and it's really focused on uh, that single track experience. Nice. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned uh, you had mentioned earlier about like good neighborship and you know really developing and helping um local communities that it's going through um could you talk about i'm i'm loving the idea of like stewardship and developing stewardship as part of this timber trail can you talk about that sure uh i think it'll that's sort of the the, the big a big question mark for me is how does that actually uh realize itself in each each community and the the stewardship as far as trails is concerned is sort of straightforward we need to like maintain these trails and make sure they're not degrading you know ecosystems or watersheds and make sure they're they're safe and fun for all users like that's like sort of cut and dry uh how to actually get each local community involved in the trail itself is a little more nuanced i think um so it'll be interesting to see i would i I think it'll it'll vary greatly across the state, and I'd really like to to incorporate those trail work days that we're that we're hosting in in each tier, and and have a day of that sort of weekend be, hey, we're gonna k- fix up kids' bikes or something, something in town, and people can like just come and, and t- chat and talk about it, mm-hmm. and maybe further down the road, uh, when we're when we're a little bit when we're rolling a little bit stronger, we can we can do some sort of uh, kid-based bikepacking overnight trips which would be which would be that like would be so awesome. really cool uh and i've heard some i've heard a lot of people say like or ask that question how they can go bikepacking or bike camping with their kids because 
they like bike touring, but they don't want to take their kids along on the shoulder of a road where people right. are driving, you know, 50 or 60 it's miles like, an wah, hour. Wah. So. It's like w- ways to get your child to hate biking. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why <laughs> I like biking. That's why I like biking in the National Forest is because you mm-hmm. don't need to ride on the shoulder necessarily. You can like stick your head up and look around and like not really ride in a straight line and just sort of like meander and, and have a good old time and, and not be stressed out. So I think that's, that's the appeal of it for me. And that's the appeal of it for a lot of people. And, and there's there's a there, I've, there's a real big opportunity there, like I was talking about, to attract not the competitive athletes than everyone else into it. When you when you start framing it like that, being like this is just a cool way to experience like traveling in the outdoors and in the the national forests and public lands. Mm-hmm. For the different tiers, would you say one stands out above the others in terms of accessibility, or, or really starting to get a, a good chunk of the timber trail without biting off more than one could chew? Um. That is a good question, and I don't know if I know the answer yet. Sure, no worries. The Deschutes is one of the shorter tiers, uh, so that that might be that might be a good che- sanction or uh, a good a good tier to to, to approach, mm-hmm. um, or even smaller chunks. Okay. Um, instead of taking taking out a whole tier, mm-hmm. really like uh, focus on some smaller segments. Nice. Um, Especially like in Mount Hood, the trails as you get farther north along the route, uh, the trails are probably more uh, well maintained. Mm-hmm. So I think some of that stuff is is really, really accessible. Like Surveyor's Ridge is 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 really well maintained. Forty four trails out of Hood River does a really good job of maintaining that whole that whole trail system up there. Um, so that that's one where it's like a pretty pretty well known like quality of trail and it's, I'm not going to say it's easy but it, it's least it's like the there's lots of variables removed from from that section. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to I'd like you to imagine in your mind if you could someone who say has a has a road bike maybe even a touring bike um, that might be bike camp or bike packing curious mm-hmm. and doesn't want to necessarily invest a whole bunch like in a in a weekend or a three day look see at whether bikepacking is fun for them. Think of, for example, me who's <laughs> <laughs> never been bikepacking. Like, how do you start? Like, where do you like can you do it on a touring bike? Can you do it on a road bike? Yeah, it's, it's can you rent a bike in town? Like what happens? It it is sort of tricky and it really depends on the route. The timber trail is 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 pretty mountain bikey um so that you're gonna you're gonna want a mountain bike for in there's a couple places in in portland you can you can rent mountain bikes yeah and we can Uh, list those on the um show notes for the podcast as well cool um and apart from that the mountain shop in town they they rent bike packing bags so that that's a good resource like if you already have a mountain bike and you just want to try it out you can you can rent bags from them and 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 then pack your your own camping gear in the bags um or you can just you can choose a not mountain biking oriented bike packing route like the Deschutes River Trail is a really good sort mm-hmm. of shakedown beginner te- it's it's a it's an old railroad grade that's it's still pretty rough and extremely beautiful and really cool it just follows this river up the Deschutes River Canyon um there's no cars anywhere around and it's it's a great overnighter, so that's a really good beginner overnighter that I, I like recommending. Uh, and that's definitely something you can take a touring bike on. There's goat heads up there, so you might want to like look into tubeless tires or some <laughs> some sort of uh, sealant in your tubes. So uh, and goat heads are like the the um, the little pieces of vegetation on the ground that are insidious. They're and... really they are, look like something out of a war movie. They're <laughs> like <laughs> these Road really crazy thorn balls that just ruin your day. I've definitely spent more than like two hours picking them out of my tire uh, in one sitting. So when you so you've been at bike touring bike packing for quite a while um and i know that uh, i'm sure many of those decisions informed what you packed for your more recent scout of the timber trail when you first got into it what would you say is one item you you really brought with you that you thought you'd need but didn't and then what was one thing that you may have found out you needed later and wished you'd started out with uh, not to get too gear technical but i know like everybody <laughs> likes to overpack so i always get curious like what what those yeah, pieces were for you this is probably not even great advice because uh <laughs> i question it my myself but <laughs> I, i've tried to not bring a tent a lot of the time 
<laughs> um, and and in parts of Oregon in the summer, you can really you can get away with that if you're okay with like the mental aspect of the creepy crawlies. Like I've never had a problem with the creepy crawlies. Um, no scorpions, no. It's a it's a little bit of a men- mental hurdle. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really like just throwing a ground sheet out in in a in a uh, a pad, an inflatable pad, and a sleeping bag, and sleeping out under the stars. That's uh, it's definitely. Uh, bitten me a couple times um the, literally. <laughs> not literally just <laughs> okay. gotten gotten a little wet uh so that's that's one thing that i've sort of started to to jettison uh mm. there's there's a million little tiny things i mean i always look for things that serve double purpose or ways i can minimize the space or weight that and each item takes so uh w- one cool thing about not doing the tent my ground cloth does double as an emergency tarp so mm-hmm. i can i can string it up as a tarp and actually have some shelter from the rain if i need to mm-hmm. and it also if I, I roll up all my my clothes and shelter and pad and sleeping bag in it and i like this big tootsie roll and strap it to my handlebars mm-hmm. and, and that so it functions as like a as a as a roll you know just like an old cowboy roll to a bed okay. roll um, on my handlebars so it serves multiple purposes that's that's a really great way to eliminate things from your from your kit so it sounds like you'd be able to go out and do this with pretty much you know a small adaptation of what most folks have at home presently if, if they're already sort of within that genre yeah uh, i mean one uh the guy i was in in baja with a couple years ago he made a really astute observation that that when you're backpacking you're really concerned you're measuring everything you're cutting tags off your clothes to like save weight and and really just weighing everything to make sure your pack weight is as low as possible and that's certainly important with with bike packing even though you have this giant chunk of metal that you're riding that weighs a lot uh mm-hmm. still want to keep weight to a minimum but what's even more important is just being space conscious because you have sort of weirder shapes and smaller spaces to fit everything into mm-hmm. so uh space is at a premium when you're when you're bike packing and okay. and uh really figuring out how all of your stuff fits into those spaces is important. So if folks wanted to go online and check out a website that has a bit more information about the timber trail, um, as well as good photos of what a bike packing setup might look like, where would they find that? So your general resource for bike packing, that's a, a really amazing resource is just bikepacking.com. They have a, a really, really in-depth sort of bikepacking 101 section that outlines the different types of bikes and different types of packing systems you can use. Uh, they, I mean, they, they talk about stoves and handlebar bags and gas tanks and frame bags and seat bags and handlebar rolls. And like they, mm-hmm. they really geek out on gear on that side a lot. Uh, and they also have a really, really extensive route, route section okay. on there. Some, some time down the road, uh, the Oregon Timber Trail will be up on that side as well. Okay. In the meantime, to find out more information about the Oregon Timber Trail, just oregontimbertrail.org. Uh, that's, that's where the, the route files will be released here in the, the spring. So Nice. Where would you like to see the Timber Trail in five years? Like, what, are, what is a dream you have for it? Uh, I really want to see people... People are already really excited, and people are going to go ride it. I, I, that's sort of a given at this point. I've just, like, accepted <laughs> that. I really want to see people embrace it and, like, not just drive down to southern oregon and get on their bikes and and ride it like that's gonna happen i really want to see people go down to those communities that it goes through and like spend time there and like meet people there and like work on trails there and like not even go on the timber trail or something just like like learn more (laughs) i mean what's cool about to me is like really introducing yourself to these landscapes that makes you want to explore more in them and and go back and like keep keep finding new things in each one of these areas so like it's sort of a vector for that to get get people out off their their beaten path and out to these new areas that are new to them so that that's what i'm really hoping is like get get people excited about seeing new things um and 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 then subsequently just sort of being invested in them and invested in protecting them cool well thank you very much gabe for talking with us about the timber trail i'm very excited to see how that progresses over the next span of time and i'm sure it will continue to develop as it sounds um and we'll keep be sure to keep checked in with the website there. Um, We're going to transition now to our 
calendar. But before we do so, uh, we wanted to thank our generous sponsor, the Beer Mongers, and the Patreon donors that keep us going. Uh, we've got a couple beers in here today. Um, what are you having, Steph? I'm having the thank you. I was just like, wait, this is so, this has been such a great conversation. Like, we should celebrate with a beer. Oh, wait, we're already drinking it. Okay, so I'm drinking Heater Allen handcrafted lager beer, Dunkel. Excellent, and I'm drinking the Machine House Brewery Best Bitter uh, from Seattle or or a northern part of Washington. I'll find it here in a sec. I actually had this uh, a couple days ago. I'll be cracking this one open soon, but a very tasty bitter, if I do say so. I know, myself. it's just like you're you're drinking it, but the lid's still on. It's true. I'll, once I find my can opener or my my bottle opener here, a can opener nice. would also probably suffice. Is that a first aid kit? What's on your? Oh, it's a CPR Red Cross first aid mask. Wow. Yeah. If you don't have it, you can't use it, so might as well bring it. <laughs> uh, that's, so that's my awesome. mantra. <laughs> um, on our calendar, we've got a, a couple of fun events coming up. Do you want to take turns here? Um, yeah. Maybe I'll take the first one, and we can go from there. Heck yeah. We've totally practiced this we, before we yes. recorded. We'll, we won't uh, make you listen through all of the recordings of these practices, <laughs> but suffice to say, we've got it right this time. Totally. So coming up on the second Friday of every month, uh, there is the Indianapolis Bike Party. And and March 30th, the Wolf Oregon 7 Expedition. April 15th, we at 10 a.m., we have the Lads 500. May 5th, filmed by bike. Yay, filmed by bike. At June 10th, we've got Clever Cycles turns 10. I feel like like June 11th, I'm not a dad, but dads are on vacation on June 11th. Dad's on vacation. I think, I can't remember who I, if it was a, an episode prior. Even if you're not a dad, you can still take part in the Dads on Vacation awesome. ride. Uh, on June 14th, we have Bicycle Xmas. And July 7th, the Steens Mazama 1000. July 15th and 16th, we have the Seattle to Portland, or STP. STP. October to 6th, the AML X, X Challenge. And that wraps up our calendar for today. We also have a one article of uh, news or mail from us. So let's go ahead. We'll queue up this mail. We got mail. Right, so from our reader, who I forgot to put on the notes, but I will put it in here shortly. Uh, we have an interesting piece from China, and apparently what they're doing is taking sort of a different approach to um, bike share. Whereas we have sort of docked bikes. I know Portland recently got the Nike Bike Share program or uh, Bikey Town. What we have in China is basically dockless bikes, where there are multiple companies coming into the market. Uh, and really taking a uh, distributed approach or or a sort of a free-ranging approach to the whole bike share program. Um, let's see here. On a 30-foot wide screen in Hangzhou's public share office, the counter ticks up relentlessly, 278,812, 278,847, et cetera. Another 40 cycles rented every couple of seconds. The system will easily top 350,000 before this bitterly cold winter day is out. Um that is a lot of bikes. Do you think that we might ever see something like that here in in Portland or in the U.S.? Tum tum tum. Well, and I can't remember what the population of Hangzhou is, but it is it is I think significantly larger than Portland as yes, well. So yes, I believe. Well, the question in is the per capita. Yeah. <laughs> I, essentially, what you do, I think, is you have a smartphone application and you, you walk up to a bike and scan a QR code, and that QR code enables you to rent it. So, in some senses, it actually sounds quite similar to what Portland's been doing. Uh, but maybe with a few little tweaks. And an interesting part of the article here is that um, it, it's sort of a, a rough-and-tumble market where a uh, former, I believe it was Uber CEO within China, um, decided to sort of split off and do this own bike share. Uh, but one of the problems they've been having is sort of pushback from, uh, they, they're not quite sure, local residents or disgruntled um, cab drivers, where they're finding these huge just piles of bicycles. Uh, and some of them have also being called or, or, or seen to litter through the city. Uh, so, so people just drop it pretty much anywhere, and it leads to these interesting uh, conglomerations of bicycles grouped up at various points around the city. I think it was interesting, especially in relation to uh, Bike Town, just sort of what the role of like a public bike share or, or bike share in general has in terms of its aesthetic impact on a town. Do you find um, like it a net positive to have bikes out and very, very bright and visible on a street? Or, or I guess what are, what are your takes on that? I'm a big fan of, of of Portland's bike share system. I 
I really, I mean, as a as a traveler, I I really enjoyed it when I went other places and friends and other cities would let me use their bike share, which I don't think is technically legal with Bike Town in Portland. <laughs> but um, we talk. Uh, yeah, and we will never tell other people. <laughs> what you just said. Uh, so that. That to me is the the value of it is for travelers. I I don't know if in Portland it's so much as a, a commuter thing. I I use it when I go downtown. I use it when I go to places where I don't want to leave my own bike locked up outside um, at night or something. Uh, it, it's a great resource, um, and and I don't think it's targeted at me. So like really recognizing that, and mm-hmm. I think that's a lot of people talking about Bike Town aren't that's target users, and uh, I think we need to sort of acknowledge that and look at it how successful it's been in getting people who aren't bikers on bikes and yeah. going around the city. So. I I've sort of seen um I, I, it's certainly not fifty fifty, but I've seen a far surprisingly more amount of people who are locals ride it than uh, I mean I certainly expected there to be that segment, but I didn't expect it to be as present. Uh, a good example of this would be. There's a um, bike town station just a few blocks from our house. And the other day, uh, my girlfriend used it because she had a flat tire. And what's more convenient than fixing a flat tire when you're already late to work than going and getting a bike town bike? So I think a lot of people are seeing like a really good sort of present need value. Um, and when you look into the way it's structured, it's still structured not only good for people who are visiting, but for folks who are looking to get to and from sort of one or two destinations mm-hmm. at least. I, I think it's also like the bike town isn't actually our first bike share um, that we That's did true. have. The, we did have free yellow, yellow bikes. Yellow yeah. bikes, yeah. And back in the day. And similarly, it, it sounds like there was also a, um, I don't know if an art installation or occasional um, a ride it off the dock and let it sink into the, the <laughs> river kind of thing. Um, that, that there was a bit of, from what I have heard, uh, what is considered the tragedy of the commons of mm. Oh, that's that something is free and then we don't have rebalanced and then it it ends up just kind of disappearing or conglomerating yeah. as you say so sure. uh but um i really look forward to i would love to see uh bike town also um go to areas of town where there is uh less transportation choice um and particularly um less frequent uh transit because i think it especially for for shorter trips it can be amazing mm-hmm. and um because like it's it's nowhere near it's it's wonderful if i'm going between you know a couple of meetings and the idea was walking versus transit versus um versus a bike it's of course nowhere near my house so um so i just think recognizing that that this is a such a successful phase one mm-hmm. in in a lot of ways i'm also as disclosure, I'm a communications and marketing manager for the Community Cycling Center. We do Bike Town for All, which is um, working with uh, local partners to um, uh, to get Bike Town access uh, for people who are living on lower incomes. Mm-hmm. And and it would be just looking at you know envisioning how beyond the downtown core where it's been an amazing phase one, like where where is phase two and how. And what are those goals? Because we're not going to have necessarily the same, the same level, mm-hmm. um, be just just out of density um, in mm-hmm. the short term. But um, what are the goals we wish to achieve um, on a longer timeline with transportation choice, and and what format, uh, and what forms can it take? Mm-hmm. Uh, does it have to be a dock? You know, like I think that there's a lot of really interesting questions, and I'm looking forward to us having those conversations another piece and then i will stop because now net, i realize now i'm talking very fast because mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm excited but like uh that we're talking about adaptive hand cycles our adaptive cycling program related to bike town yeah that um uh looking at hand cycles looking at recumbents can we look at trikes what what other types of of bikes who for um people who are differently abled um people who uh um, who would find more comfort on a different kind of bicycle? How can we incorporate that um, into Bike Down? Is has Bike Town? Um, I, I know I've seen that come up a couple of times. Have there been sort of steps, or are they making progress towards that? So they've just—that's a great question. They've um, they've just been uh, they've just had a survey um, online, and they're looking at doing, I believe, some focus groups and just w- what might a rollout look like? What is the what is the appetite, and um, what are the options? Nice. Yeah. Well, that'd be great to see. Um, do you have anything else to add, Gabe, before we wrap towards the end here? Um, that, I mean, that, as far as Bike Town is related, I mean, that, that's obviously a, a modest start. Uh, or, I mean, it was, it was pretty, it was, it was sort of a bold start. I mean, they, they launched pretty mm-hmm. abruptly, but that's been a lot of the feedback that I've heard is that why is the core area so small? And 
it, it's it's very reasonable that that's what they started with and i'm i'm looking forward to it expanding into into other communities um so I, I live right on the edge and i feel like i live in the center of the city so <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally like that's that's affected my decision to take bike down many times um so yeah uh I, I guess thank you for having having me in and um uh talking about the oregon timber trail and i'm really looking forward to see where it goes this okay. summer and 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 years down the road and gabe i i really appreciate all of our conversations that we ever have because i feel like i'm a pretty i'm a pretty i want to say i don't want to say conservative but definitely you know more tentative cyclist and every time i talk with you i was like wait what else is possible like what if what if i could go bike packing during the eclipse this year and yeah. you know, save the light pollution you know and be able to look at it as it mm-hmm. really is so yeah yeah so thank you for opening the state up absolutely one of my favorite parts of the oregon outback route is actually crosses right where the eclipse goes so mm. i don't want to blow up the spot but <laughs> so it's, don't it's... look at the map in central oregon until at least after august or so uh, nice well thank you again for coming on the show it's been a pleasure to have you yeah thanks guys thanks for having me thank you fine print produced at stream pdx thanks to open signal music by ryan j lane intro and outro and Graphic design, Marcus Web. We're on the web at uh, thesprocketpodcast.com. And email at thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. You can phone Aaron um, and Brock, who, by the way, are not here because they're on at Points Continental at 503-847-9774. Thanks to our sustaining donors for supporting our show costs. Logan Smith, excuse, Shadowwood, Katharina Mellingard, Wayne Norman, Doug Robinson, Ethan Georgie, Justin Martin, Eric Iverson, Cameron Leon, uh, Richard Wasensky, Tim Mooney, Orange and Purple, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Jim Gooden, Eric Weitz, Doug Cohen Miller, Todd Parker, and Chris Gonzalez, Dan Gephardt, Zoe Campagna, Dave Nose, Chris Smith, Cassie Caster, oh, I killed your name, Caleb Jenkinson, JP Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Eric Archain, Sebastian Poole, Marco Lowe. Uh, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, Krista, John Wasserman, Andre Johnson, John Zeeson, Richard G. Guffrey Straw, Brandon Shelby, Campsite, Aaron Green, Mac Nurse David, Kathy at Cycling, Walking, Eating, Talking, Nathan Fulton, Chris Rawson, Rory in Michigan, Michael Florney, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belais, Tim Coleman, Mr. T, Harry Hugel, and Ed Whitman. Ed Whitman, PJ Brad Hipwell, Thomas Shadow, Christopher Barnett, Keith Hutchinson, and Tom Benati. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at Stream PDX Community Auto Studio thanks to the generous support of Open Signal. Thank you for listening and brush your teeth.